Welcome to another episode of Wellness and Women in Tech, the podcast that brings you inspiring stories from women who are breaking barriers and making a difference in the tech industry. I'm Lee Olison, your host, a web developer, and a coach for women in tech. Today, I have the pleasure of hosting Britt Starr, a spiritualist, software developer, and creative entrepreneur. Britt runs Sword and Stone, the interdimensional dev studio, and in this episode, we'll be discussing entrepreneurship, agency, and self-advocacy. Join us for an insightful conversation on how to navigate the world of tech as a creative, stand up for yourself and your ideas, and cultivate an entrepreneurial mindset. So Britt, thank you so much for joining me on this Wellness and Women in Tech podcast. I'm so excited to have you. I came across you on Instagram and I was immediately drawn to your aesthetic, to your design. You have your own business doing web development, sword and stone. And there was also something about the way you communicated that really resonated with me. So I identify as a tech witch and you identify as a tech magician, goddess of transformation. I just felt this magical connection and I was like, I I need to have her on the podcast. So thank you so much for joining today. Yeah, thank you. I am jazzed. I mean, really the thing that I want most is to find more, whatever we call ourselves, tech magicians, tech witches. It's it's our time. I'm very excited to, to connect with more people. So then diving right into it, tell me about your journey as a woman in tech. Yeah. I mean, like how far back do we want to go? <laughs> as um, as early as it resonates for you. This, I always, it's always important to me to tie my journey in tech to like what I loved as a little girl. And I was one of those little girls who spent most of my time building like GeoCities and Lycos and Angel Fire sites. And that was like a big deal for me. I would, you know, make them for, I think I started, I went to, I technically went to a technological school for a few years in elementary school. So they were very focused on us using what was then modern technology. So we would, you know, have assignments to make web pages and do things in the computer. And I always loved that. I did a project and then I would always like when I loved a celebrity or when I loved anything, I would make a website for it. And that carried through, I was born at really the perfect time for that, that carried through things like MySpace, uh, where it was like the thing to think of yourself as as a coder, like making like marquee text and all that stuff was like a huge deal then. Mm -hmm. And all of that really was like, I thought that it was just what everybody was jazzed about and into. And as I got older, I still have these leanings. These were really natural leanings to really all things technological. And it wasn't until I was in a corporate job that was incredibly boring that our uh, department's business analyst, he, I don't even know what he saw. He built like task management, project management, work tracking software for the departments. And he was watching me use the software. And I just remember the way that he looked at me and then he was like, oh, well, I needed an assistant. So I like, would you want to be trained on, you know, making, making this, this and that? And I was like, yeah, obviously I hate this job. (laughs) And that was really my entry in because I was so frustrated. If anybody has worked in a corporate environment, not in the tech department, they will put so many restrictions on like the software that you can use. And I felt so like, constrained by these very very outdated like 
I cannot stress to you how outdated this was like, I was working there in the early 2010, so like 2013, but like they were using very old software, like DOS systems and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, That was like really frustrating. And I felt so constrained by it. And it was that that made me, I'm going to get into this coding thing like more. I'm going to figure out how to build the the software that my team needs. And that's what I'm going to do. And I taught myself for a bit. And then I was like, this sucks. I need more structure. I was like getting up at five o'clock to like take, you know, courses that I bought on, you know, Udemy and on YouTube and stuff like that. And I came across coding boot camps and I decided that I was in a good place that I felt like I had done everything that I could on my own with the little structure that I have, you know, with my nine to five and then having that be all that I did. And I applied to a boot camp and I got in and that was just sort of like the, the catalyst to alchemizing what I already knew and to getting the experience to be a full stack developer and to actually get working, building the things that I was dreaming about. And tell me about your business. When did that get started? Yeah. So technically that was in 2017, like when I first started taking on clients, it existed before then, but it was just sort of like a a little fledgling and it's in 2017. And I, to that point, and with that, that first version of my company, I only worked with nonprofits and mission-driven companies uh, because that was where my experience was. That was where the corporate job that I had was a corporate nonprofit. And that was where my passion was. I was very passionate about the fact that these nonprofits were doing good work and running on not enough funds that like were being prioritized elsewhere, right? They weren't being prioritized to the technology because it felt like in an old school kind of way, like frivolous, right? Like it felt like it was like, oh, if if this is working, then it's fine. But it was like, but it's not working. It's costing time and money and energy and headaches. And people are putting their their energy into wrangling these systems and, you know, making things fit that don't fit instead of doing their good work. And so that was what I did for that first bit of my company was working just primarily with nonprofits and mission-driven companies. So you say the first bit, how did that evolve? So I, that was my first business and it was, that was my first full-time business and I didn't really know what I was doing and I got really overwhelmed. I worked for this fantastic nonprofit. um, And if anybody's worked in the nonprofit world, you live and die by the funding, right? And they didn't have funding for my role past um, where, when I was contracted, they really wanted to keep me, but it just didn't work out. And so I just started freelancing and that was that that era of of the company and I sort of realized a lot of things like that I should have always had multiple clients I shouldn't have turned things down and da 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 and I got to the point where it was just really overwhelming not having consistent income and that was not a good time for me to do that um and I freaked out and I got a full-time contract role that I ended up going full-time with for almost three years I think actually I'm curious to hear you know what inspired your design aesthetic I I describe myself as a collagist and I really do mean that it doesn't like literally that design, everything that I want to refer to, I took into my room yesterday. So I don't have here, (laughs) Um, but literally it's like, like I said, I work with, uh, I'm very open to the divine inspiration. I think some of it comes from my experience as a writer. Like I have had, you know, I've been written through uh, in uh, my entire life. And so the like 
I was, do you know Jessica Leniadu is? No. She's a really fantastic astrologer and psychic medium. She's very, uh, it's very expansive. A lot of, right now, a lot of astrology content can be like very like contracted. It's mm-hmm. like people, it's like now people are like throwing these labels on things and like flattening them instead of using them to expand. But she's mm-hmm. fantastic. And I had a reading with her in like 2019. Um, and she was like, oh, you should try designing too, because I think you'd be really good at it. And I was like, no, I'm not a designer. And uh, it just came through when Sword and Stone came through. Um, I I mean, I've done design before, like most most developers, you, you'll put something together and I have an eye for what looks good. But really, it's just been being open to the inspiration that wants to come through me. I Sword and Stone is so it was you know a gift from the universe really I was channeling and it came through and uh it's actually really funny I was actually I was writing about this on my newsletter yesterday and uh when it came through I was like oh that's cool sword and stone like and I knew nothing about like the King Arthur mythology and I was like oh like what does this mean and they were like oh it's like you know uh this uh divine reward after a period of strife and I was like oh I don't have a period of strife I get to you know just get this reward with no strife. And then the past year has like absolutely been a shit show. Um, so it was, but I was like, Oh, you were saying sorry for the next, for the next year. <laughs> and, uh, but like being, being not sorry. Um, it's been, you know, the only way to grow is to have those, those experiences. Um, but it's really been just like divinely inspired. The design came to me uh, all at once. And uh, I played around with the textures and the color. Texture is really important for me. Like texture is the the base of the design, that sort of uh, two color noisy thing that is the background on the Sword and Stone website. Um, Everything really came from there. And it was like taking experience, uh, taking, um, taking inspiration from the things that I love. I really love art that's a bit funky and um, psychedelic but also I always really loved like the classics and like the 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 old masters and I really love the idea of combining those like like avatar right like uses uh sculpture like ancient sculpture as the base for uh the the hero image which um the the image of the I call them the the three muses I don't know who it actually is um but all of that stuff is there and just sort of like it comes out on its own its own time and my it's a very long way of saying I guess that the universe is my inspiration I was trying to arrive at something that's not just the universe but yeah well you contain multitudes you know and you you (laughs) tap into that inner wisdom and it's just really a very clear window into your heart uh, and being able to express that is is really nice to see and to hear. Thank you. Absolutely. And so tell me about Sword and Stone and what it is today. Yeah, Sword and Stone is the evolution of that first company, which is called Starlight Global. And Sword and Stone came to me after about a year or so of working as a spiritual practitioner. I was deep in community with other spiritualists, other spiritual practitioners, witches, healers, whatever they called themselves. And I was like, oh, these are these are the coolest people on the planet. And they're over here in this corner of the world. I mean, at that point, Stripe still wouldn't accept you if you, you know, use language like being tarot or witch, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that didn't 
change until I believe about a year ago. Um, so it was still this thing that felt like old school in a way and like kind of like underground in a way. It's like, okay, I'm over here and these are the coolest people on the planet right now doing the most interesting work. And they're like over here in this little corner. And obviously things have exploded in the past couple of years with like <laughs> the, the spiritual, spiritual wellness space. Um, and I was looking at these people and the things that they were doing. And I was like, wait, why are you wasting your time on this? Like you're wasting your time on low value work. Uh, you don't have a website. You're manually doing your bookings, right? Like someone will DM you on Instagram and then you'll spend two days going back and forth to try to find an appointment time. Uh, you're, you know, doing payment apps instead of getting, getting your business set up in a legal way. And it was just like, like, come on, like be legit so that you can focus and do the work that you want to do. And that was really sort of the catalyst. Uh, I started like teaching uh, in small areas with my friends and I started teaching. Um, I work with something called the Akashic Records. Uh, it's often, well, often referred to as Akashic, Akashic Records. Um, you can think of it a lot of ways. I like to think of it as the universe's divine uh, relational database. Um, and I started teaching people how to, I say teaching, but I was leading these workshops. I was experimenting as much as anybody else. Um, but we were experimenting with planning our year with the Akasha, with figuring out how we could take the practical things that we knew we needed to do and tap into the knowledge of the body, the subconscious, and just let it expand and have a little dance with the unseen and see what we could find. I was so jazzed about that. It was really fun. I was teaching people about the Akasha, but that specific part about combining the very practical. Uh, I'm a Virgo, I'm a Capricorn stellium, stellium, a stellium. And I really love all of the practical, all of the structural. That is so much of my gift is to be able to root anything in structure. But I also really love dancing with the unseen and the just strangeness of life. I think the things that everybody taps into the, you know, whatever you want to call it, the sort of like kismet moments, the coincidences, the, you know, winks from the universe, whatever. And I wanted to combine those things. And that became sword and stone because there was nothing else that I wanted to do, but teach these people who I think are so vital for the future of our planet. And uh, for the the survival of really everything good about being human, right? Our need to experiment and to be with each other and to learn and to grow. And I think that spiritualists and people who are committed to doing healing work are such a part of that. To have them be comfortable with and empowered by technology is so important for the future that we are rapidly moving towards with tech. I find it really relatable. What I'm hearing is you have been drawn throughout your career to who you're working for or who you're working with. First, it was nonprofits and then the community you found within spirituality. I, I just really admire that you pursued that because I, I had a similar uh, kind of realization working in corporate uh, that I just wasn't having that connection. And yeah, it's, it can be a challenge to be that counterculture person that goes for, you know, a community that is, yeah, the, the subversives, the, the, the people that <laughs> Stripe is not allowing for whatever reason, yeah. for some kind of strange judgment upon their practices. Yeah. 
And it was uh, like, I, I, I love what you said because like, I, I look, I've tried not to follow, follow the callings as much as anybody else. Um, I was very like, okay, after I got particularly, particularly once I shifted to the boot camp, which I'm incredibly grateful for. I had a great experience. It, it's one of those, like your mileage varies things. Um, but it was really beautiful and transformational and the connections that I made there persist to this day. Um, but the focus, because it's, it's business, right? And so anything that's a business, you run this really interesting tension between the intangibles, right? The things that make you actually go for it. And the fact that they need to have selling points and the selling points for tech we know are the money, right? They will harp on the money over and over and over again. And it will cloud you because we live in a capitalist society. Like you have to make a living and you have to have money to do the things that you enjoy, right? Like just, just things that you enjoy are expensive. And so that became a bit of my focus. And I was like, okay, I want to work for, it was really weird. I think I had like Uber as my, like my goal, at that point, uh, which is really funny for so many reasons that would take way too long to talk about. But it just like was, and I just, because I just picked out a thing that I was like, okay, who's making big moves, right? This was uh, 2016, right? So it was like, they were making big moves. I think none of the, I don't think any of the, the corporate leadership stuff had come to light at that point. And it was this like trendy thing. And I was like, okay, that's, that's where I want to be. And I want to make this amount of money. And I did all the research and uh, all the interviews about how much money you could make. And that was my goal. I've never worked at a big tech company because I simply could not do it. I, my goal was, well, I guess before I continue, do you, you don't happen to work for Google or have not worked for Google? Do you? I have not. Although someone okay. uh, that I interviewed for this podcast does work at Google. <laughs> okay. Excellent. Um, but that was at that point. And really my, like, literally since I was a kid, my dream company had been Google. And it started really silly because if you remember, like, back in the early 2000s, like, at least for my friend group, we only used Google because back then you could just, they had all of the, the domains for all the, all the O's. So you could just get Google.com and it would go <laughs> to Google, right? And we were so fascinated by that. And that is what made us use Google over like the other searches that uh, search engines that were around at the time. And Google really, it just like became such a, a presence in all of our lives. And that was really like my dream. I was like, okay, I'm going to do like the Uber thing. And then that'll get me to Google, like where I want, like where I want to actually be. Uh, Cause I was very intimidated by the Google interviews. <laughs> so I was like, I was like, I don't, I don't need a stepping stone. Um, and I've never done it. And when I was trying to force myself the last time when I had, you know, cracking the code interview uh, as my my Bible and I was trying to go through that, I had this moment of divine inspiration. I was sitting on the couch and this like heat, this light came down my head and it was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> this is why this is not working. <laughs> it's not working because you're not meant to go with the tide. You're meant to help shift the tides, right? Like the the reason that you feel connected to these things isn't because you love them. It's because you, you don't like them. <laughs> and I started thinking about the things that, uh, drew me to say like a Google. And really a lot of it was my anger that they had taken this, you know, beautiful, there's so many beautiful things that Google has given us, has created. And uh, they commoditized us without telling us and making people give up things that shouldn't even be on the table 
in exchange for the the benefits that we get. And I didn't understand that at the point that that was what I was doing, what I was actually doing when I was focusing on the Googles. I was I was never a Facebook girly, but uh, when I was focusing, when I would think about those companies, it was actually my desire to shift the tide to help to transform that. And for me, a big part of the, f- the first part of that is in educating people and educating people who give a damn about humanity writ large and uh, our spiritual development and our health and social justice and things like that and educating those people about technology in a really accessible way so that you could see like so that I wouldn't have to say to you oh Google is actually like you know they they provide these great things but like what we give up is not is not actually worth it right and shouldn't actually be be allowed like I wouldn't have to evangelize I would just be able to tell you what's happening and you would be able to see and make your own judgments and decide accordingly what you want to do and empower people are how we shift the world you know and I think feeling the empowerment of when you get those like you you described it as this warmth descending upon you like feeling empowered to listen to that inner wisdom and following that I I just resonate a lot with that story because this year I took some time off after working for a big corporate company. It just wasn't for me for many reasons. And uh, after taking a lot of space and working with a career coach and being around people and places that inspired me, I, I finally found that time to get quiet. And it was like my unconscious had really been working away at, at what I, I actually wanted to do. And the second I opened that window, it came right up. You want to be a coach for women in tech. And I think so often messages can come bombarding us from all places, unbidden, unasked for. And yet, you know, everyone's got an opinion and there's all sorts of paths that seem like the one you're supposed to do, but we have the answers. Yeah. I love that. I mean, like what you're saying is you're, you're talking about discernment, right? And that has been such the my, the theme of development and growth for me for the past two years was like, uh, instead of focusing on the outside world and focusing on how noisy it is and focusing on what other people think, focus on yourself, right? Focus on sort of uh, tending to your internal fire and sitting with yourself and being with yourself because other people will always have opinions and we shouldn't desire to shut that out, right? We should desire to be able to just let it wash wash over us and then sit with ourselves and let wait for the wisdom to come. Not even wait for it, let it come. It'll come anyway, you know, uh, yeah. often when we're in movement and doing something completely different. Yeah. And so speaking of which, tell me what inspires you. I <laughs> I believe in technology. I believe in a transformative future where technology is something that uplifts all people uh, and is not primarily viewed as a vehicle for making money, which it very much is now. Even uh, there's a lot of talk about transformation, people sort of getting on like the Web3, NFT, crypto side, and it all comes back to money a lot, um, not everybody, but a massive part of it. Like it's, it's been there, right. This it's been this sort of like current under, but it, I don't know. I think it got a marketing team or something. <laughs> and in the past like years, not even year, particularly in my community, I've seen it in the past year. There are a lot of people who are not 
quote unquote tech people, but they are now evangelists for Web3 and NFTs, not because they believe in the technology and are interested in it, but because of the money that can be made. And it's probably not a coincidence that I'm being uh, sort of committing to this idea that technology should be accessible and uplifting to all people at a time when people are very interested in tech specifically for the money again. Um, but that really is a, it's like, how can we take these things, particularly, um, with all of the advances that are happening now in our sort of weird information distribution era, um, all of the, the changes that are happening now, like how can we take those and not focus on the gloss of it, not focus on what looks good in a headline or on a, you know, snappy social post, but how can we take those things and make them, supportive for the lives that we want to live right we have this beautiful planet that we're trying to that we're trying to keep livable right and we have uh these systems and these ways of being that we've realized are like harmful and oppressive and we're trying to change them and i think technology can be a massive influence in that if we can figure out how to use it uh not as sort of like a helper or like a you know I don't know, like an assistant, which is always very often how technology is perceived um, as being sort of like a, almost like a servant, um, but how we can use it to influence and to uh, support the lives that we want to live. I would love to hear your thoughts on ideas you've had of using Web3 in communities of spirituality or women. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'll, I will say, I, I find the sort of, and because like web three is like a theory, right? Like, and I find it like really interesting, but I don't find like there, uh, I don't find it particularly interesting at the moment. Like I understand applications as it grows, but tech does this really interesting thing where it's it, like I said, it's almost like it has a marketing team. And I think the marketing team is the companies with trillion dollar market caps that push things. Um, but it's like before the thing is actually in the place that you want it, right? People are sort of like evangelizing, oh, it could be this, but it's not actually possible at the moment, right? I think that that's really, that there are some interesting things, but people are very focused on social media with Web3 right now, which I'm not super interested in. I get it. Like, uh, I understand, uh, you know, why people want to sort of go that route. I do have ideas for things, but I have ideas for things that aren't yet possible. <laughs> So there's I that. want to hear it. I want to dream in this space. <laughs> no, I do believe in, in shepherding the ideas. But I will say, I think that a lot of the interesting things, again, if we can get just get past the state of like, focusing on on the money that's available for things, right? If we can focus on how we can create truly hybrid experiences, right? Like in the real world and in technology. And I don't mean like in quote unquote meta metaverse, like uh like putting on a headset and you know, like I don't I don't mean that. I mean truly like technology that is in the physical space, you still have the connection and are in your human body, which I believe is extremely important. Um yeah. I don't believe in spending all of our time. I understand the urge, but I just, I'm like, did nobody watch Ready Player One? Like, I don't, I don't, <laughs> it's not a good idea. I'm telling you to, to spend all of the time outside of, of the body and the physical experience. Um, but I have a lot of dreams about hybrid technology, about 
technology in spaces, um, even simple things like uh, like being able to go into this is not in the spiritual space, but like this is like it, but it's indicative of a couple of things like being able to go into a store and stand on a platform and have a device that scans you and lets you see how you how you look and things you know like very very simple things mm-hmm. being able to to try on things and have this hybrid experience particularly because I like the idea of of waste being cut down by technology mm-hmm. um right like if it's if you can sort of create these almost like bespoke experiences right by taking taking our need and the importance of being in the physical world and combining it with the ability to check things out technologically I think is really fascinating right like going into a store and see a sofa maybe you haven't found online you can take a picture of it and then easily render it in your in a photo of your your actual space you know Mm -hmm. things like that I think are really fascinating and you mentioned uh, when we were communicating before the podcast that mm-hmm. you'd love to talk about the tendency for women to become the standard bearers by doing work like advocating and creating structure via processes, documentation, training programs, etc. And it's something that you enjoy and led you to learn how to advocate for yourself. And I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, I'm a natural creator of structure and it's just happened that every place I've, I've worked, well, I guess not just happened, it's been intentional that every place that I've worked has really needed that. I don't work well when expectations aren't clear. I think a lot of people are like that. A lot of the anxiety, a lot of even things like imposter syndrome, right, come from not knowing what's actually expected of you, right? We have these mm-hmm. assumptions. Um, the wish listing thing, particularly in jobs and particularly in tech, is so insane. People will be like, oh no, this is a wish list. And then it's literally everything you can think of. Um, and that carried over into jobs and like people, you would get into these roles and just have no idea what you were doing. And uh the people who came before you, the people who quote unquote train you don't actually understand the whys, don't actually understand the reasoning, don't understand the business logic. And that makes it really hard for me to do my job because I have to care about the things that I'm doing, you know? Like even if it's something something mundane, if you tell me that like what the purpose of it is, I can get behind it, you know? So I've always, I've been the person, I created the processes and the systems and the documentation and dealed with the pushback in, uh, in, and dealt with the pushback in corporate environments at least uh, for that because for some reason, people are very resistant. And it was so like emotionally taxing, really, to do that because like it's something that is almost like in the same way that like work in the home is devalued, right? Care work is devalued. It's the same for creating the structure that we need to to do business and to grow. I always just have an eye for where where things can be improved and where there are gaps. And the biggest and easiest one is in the way that things are done, why things are done. Yeah. It's always, it's always such like lonely work. You go to your boss and you say, okay, well, this is why this is important, right? We don't have, we have our job title, but we don't have our actual duties clearly outlined, right? Someone will come to me and tell me, oh, you know, do this, da, 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 and then I have to figure it out. And the next, and then I'm so overwhelmed. And so in that state of like 
over arousal that I'm not thinking, oh, write this down. And the next person that comes into the job, I will have by that time have this on autopilot and I won't remember to tell them, right? Unless we make it a priority to document our processes and systems and make it a priority to go back over them and update them and give us space to do that. And that conversation goes great. And then it's on you and there's no support. You have to create everything. You have to figure out where to host it. You have to figure out the best way to do it. You have to muddle through it on your own the first time because you tell your team about it and they're like, oh, well, I don't know what to do as if anybody does, right? As if most things aren't just figuring it out. It's such a lonely thing. And then you get to the point where you get it released, you get it set up and people use it and people love it. And people say that it makes their job easier and da, da, da. And then you get praise for it. And then it's like, yeah, but like, you don't understand like the work that I did. You understand the benefit that you got, right? So it's it's such a weird experience. And many of the women that I know in tech, particularly in big companies that have this experience, I've known people who were advocates who did this work that nobody else wanted to do and paying attention to the staff that nobody else wanted to pay attention to because they weren't engineers, you know, um, and advocating for them and then not getting the recognition for it, you know, not really getting the the credit due for it because it's just seen as low value work. It hits home so much hearing this. I mean, documentation and commenting code, I think are two things that are a necessity if you're going to be sharing a code base. And yet yeah. It's not, it's, it's hard to come by and it's in a state of quality. And I can think of a lot of times where I've been asked to, to work on a project and I get thrown into a code base and there are no comments in the code, thousands (laughs) of lines of code. And what you said about imposter syndrome comes from not knowing what's expected of you. That is so profound to hear because I think earlier in my career to come across that experience where I'm in a code base where it's just frankly a mess and I'm supposed to make heads and tails of it was was hard for me because I thought it was my fault. Mm -hmm. And then as I grew with experience and realized the importance of what's necessary in order to make code coherent, it's not just that it works, but it's accessible to the next person who comes across it, I realized, oh, this isn't, this isn't a problem with my skills. This is just the nature of the beast that I've been asked to face. And now I'm here to make sense of it. Like, let me add some comments as I go. Let me start some documentation because I don't want the next person to feel this way. And I think in a sense, it's a form of building community, which like to me, I I agree is, is almost seen as like this softer skill and therefore not as respected, like the ability to communicate, the ability to have connections between people, I think uh, has been one of my strongest assets as a developer, because I can actually talk to people who are not only developers, but, you know, work in marketing or design or whatever. Um, It's, it's not a, a common quality to come by in the engineering department. 
Oh God. Yeah. I mean, completely. I, I like, that was one of the things that like when I was job searching, I realized was a huge asset was that I can talk to people across departments yeah. that I can, that I can talk to any stakeholder. I can talk to a PM. I can talk to a designer. I can talk to an executive assistant. And if they need something explained technologically, I can adjust my language, right? I don't have to like talk at them. Um, and that's such, a, that's such a, like there are so many people who just say, oh, I don't like to talk to insert department because they don't get it. And it's like, well, like human communication is about adjusting, right? And if you want to communicate with someone, figuring out where you can meet them. Um, and it's just so it's not, there's a lot of, there's a lot of very like, I, I, I just think of it as like old school boys club stuff in tech. Um, like not commenting, you know, like a 10,000 line code or something like that is like, to me, in my experience, is based on this like mental gymnastics game that a lot of people in tech sort of think that that's what makes you an engineer, right? Oh, well, I can look at this and I can figure it out. It was like, I mean, you can, you might hate it and your life by the time you're done, but you can <laughs> muddle through it line by line, figuring out, going between files and trying to figure out like all this stuff out. Like, sure, you can, uh, but you shouldn't have to, right? Like uh, the job isn't about how well you can perform when the cards are stacked against you, right? That's that's not that's not it, right? That's a part of life. That's something that we'll all experience. But we don't need to orient our lives around that, right? It's like, oh, I could handle this. Like, of course you could, but like, should you have to? Work shouldn't be creating constant stress. You shouldn't, you know, get a get a project and be like, you know, here's, I don't know, here's 50,000 lines of code. There's not a single comment to be found. <laughs> Or the comment that you do find is just things commented out. <laughs> it's really interesting, interesting too, what you said about like early in your career that you would like blame yourself, like think that like you were doing something wrong. And I think that is again, just so much the culture, like there's this sort of, uh, I figured it out. And so you'll have to figure it out now, right? There's this sort of like mean spirited undercurrent that runs through a lot of society that runs through a lot of um, the industry where it's like, because there is this sort of culture, like I said, of like the enjoying the mental gymnastics, which can be fun. Um, but there's the sort of culture of that. And it gets sort of shoehorned into this idea that like, if you're getting paid, you should suffer anything that comes your way. Right. And if you, if I could withstand it, then you can withstand it. It's so unsupportive. And it's so annoying and so many of us have fallen victim to this it's weird because we've we've all had the same experience and yet we will very easily do the same thing to someone else I think I could do an entire entire conversation about agency about women realizing like that so much of what tech actually really not just tech like any structure that is not made for all kinds of people the huge thing is like that it's like a two-path growth so there's like the practicals there are things I always use a sort of example the like examples here in the states at least I know it's different around the world but of you know there was a time when integration interracial marriage gay marriage were issues that people felt completely opposite to how they feel now right and when you talk to people well, I should say, when you get people to speak honestly, when you talk to people, what you'll find is that there's no huge moral revelation. It's that they knew somebody. 
right? They met somebody who had a different experience to them. They met somebody who was living something and they couldn't look at them anymore and say, you deserve less than me. So there's always that work of just existing in the world. And that's really brutal. Like understanding that a huge part of the way that we shift things for women in tech and for any marginalized person in tech is to just show up and to take care of ourselves. And that's really, really, really hard to navigate when it doesn't feel good, you know, when the structures seem to just not support you. And I think that a huge part of particularly as women, how we navigate that, I think, like I said, I really do think like all people who have like a marginalized identity, but particularly for women, agency is the big thing for us, right? Like being like, yeah, so-and-so is a sexist jerk, but also you know that he's wrong. So you can't spend all of your time and all of your energy focusing on him, right? You have to focus on you, on taking care of you so that when he says whatever snide comments or when you get passed up for a promotion for a person that you trained or whatever it is, that you understand that one, you're not being forced into anything. You don't have to stay anywhere where you're treated that way. And you don't have to accept that mistreatment as right, right? You can stand up for yourself in whatever way feels good. And I think that's just such a part of our journey is like, yeah, there's this, this sort of like multi-pronged thing. Like we, you know, being in these spaces, it doesn't do anyone any good to completely leave the space, but also how can we create spaces that support and feed us while we acknowledge that we are responsible for ourselves? You know, it's so, it's so multi-layered and complex. I could talk about it forever, I think. Wow. A thousand percent. I mean, personally, it hit on there were times I had to completely leave the industry I went and started a farm and I was like I'm not gonna look <gasps> at a screen I'm not gonna touch a mouse like I'm done and it eventually you know the the parts that had really kind of grated me to the bone started healing and I was like you know what I want to go back because it does nourish the creative forces in me it does light me up in a lot of ways there's nothing like that epiphany you have when you're writing code and it's just like dopamine rushed (laughs) (laughs) there's nothing else like it I missed that so I came back but yeah it's it's important for for women to hear that you know it's okay to step away and you know take your time to heal but Mm. also like there are choices, there, there are ways to stay in it that will be supportive. And sometimes that means leaving the current situation, moving somewhere else. Love it. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's really so important to come into our power. I I say to come into, but to reconnect with our power as women, right? Like we've been so disconnected from it in this patriarchal society which people I know can be sort of like a buzzy word. People are like, what does that actually mean? But like, ultimately, like, that's what it means is that the idea, our our society supports the idea that men are superior, right? And yeah. any idea of supremacy is inherently faulty, right? And like, we should always push back on it. And for us as women, then it's our responsibility to understand that what is happening, particularly with patriarchal society, is that it's saying that we are less than, which is- right 
false, right? And we, and when we reclaim that, we help other people who have other marginalized identities, right? Like no matter where you are, what your background is, what your sexuality, gender, race, class, any of that, when you step into your power and reclaim it and understand that you are uh, not just like valuable, but like as valuable as someone with whatever the other identities are, then we can like heal ourselves and heal everybody else and heal these structures at the same time. So what would your advice be to invite ease in those spaces and places of this kind of like hard competition or this kind of showmanship and instead invite like to erase that that shaming or devaluing? I think that the first thing is always to find who you can connect with. Um, the having another person and having it's not even just like the mental part it's the energy of another person who is not hostile you know who's not in in that same kind of energy is so important and it doesn't have to be another engineer right it can be particularly if you're in a big company like if you I don't know if you get maybe unlucky with your team and like everyone on your team is kind of a jerk and like really you know overly uh overly aggressive or whatever there are other people who have witnessed that, you know what I mean? There, there's, you know, administrators, there's, you know, I don't know, juniors who have moved to other departments or whatever, you can find those, those relationships. And that's a huge part of it. There's something just so powerful about community, period, but especially at work, just to have someone else say, I see you, even if I don't know what to do, even if that's not my department, even if I can't help you is so powerful, because it fortifies us, you know, um, all of these things that we deal with are really calls to sit more in our power, you know, to figure out how to do that and building relationships and taking care of ourselves in whatever way that means for you. It can be different for everybody is really for me, the first step. Tell me about your connection to the universe. So we were talking earlier before we started recording about our heroes and I loved what you said about your relationship with the universe. Yeah, I don't, uh, a lot of people like get into to tech or anywhere because they there's like somebody that they admire and they looked at that person and said, whoa, like that's how I want to be. And I love this thing that's available to me. And I never had that. It was the universe who has been pushing me. Uh, I, I would say gently nudging, but it's often just a full body shove. It's like, it's like you're ready. Here you go off the cliff. Um, and that's really been so much of my journey in tech. I mean, like I was, I was telling you about like, you know, my experiences like a girl, like I always loved these things. Right. And I didn't know that it was possible to have a career in them because when I was in high school, we didn't, I don't know if you have like a guidance counselor at your school, we technically did not <laughs> like technically there was somebody, but we didn't. And so I wanted to actually go to, a, actually wanted to go to a web development program. I couldn't figure it out on my own. And so I didn't. And then I, I had a job and I was basically forced by the circumstances. I mean, they loved my work and they loved me, but I hated it. And it was like this internal push. Like you have to get the fuck out of here. I did. And I was pushed into the role that led to the business analyst uh, being like, hey, kid, you have a you have a mind for this stuff. Maybe maybe learn about it. That doesn't happen without the, the, the urgings of the universe. Right. 
it was just so random. And I got there in that job and I was like, what the fuck am I doing here? And literally the role that he found me in wasn't even what I was hired for. Um, I got there and they put me behind the girl who did that job and she was pregnant. They couldn't backfill and they were just like, hey, Brittany, you want to do this? And I was like, yeah. And that's how I got in there. And that is my doorway into tech in the corporate world, being in this restricted environment, hating every God. I, like I'm like having like PTSD flashbacks, like mm. the systems that they had us use, like literally anyway. Um, and I was frustrated and that pushed me into learning and into like co-academy and all that stuff that pushed me into the program, which I was terrified by. I did not like, I was, you know, that thing in like old cartoons where there's a character who doesn't want to do something and one pushes them and the other character has like their heels up and they're just being scraped along the ground. That was the <laughs> universe like pushing me. I was like, I, I was like, this is, this is really scary. I can't do this. I would be in the interviews and I was like freaking out. And like, I would get so anxious that they could ask me what like two plus two was. And I would say uh, 12. I don't know. Like I was, I was just in such like a, a high state, um, but the universe made it, made the way and made it possible by literally just pushing me just like very firmly it's the same thing that kept me out of companies that I didn't actually need to be a part of that I didn't need to be contributing to I wanted nothing more than to really be like a Google engineer and then I had this huge download from the universe and right after it the Google recruiter came back and to this day I know that I'm on the right track with my business when some I I make a huge decision and then a Google recruiter reaches out to me <laughs> every single time, including, wow. oh, I have a, 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 it happened recently. I found this job, not even in tech. This job was not in tech. It's a writing job. I'm also a writer and the interviewer loved me and it went great. You know, when you like get off the, off of, out of the interview and you just know, right. Mm -hmm. And she's like, oh, you're going to hear from me and da, da, da. And then uh, I we're talking and she's like, okay, so this role actually is for, um, we have one client and so it's Google and, da, da, da. and I was like, fuck, I'm not getting this job because like Google is my sign of no, 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 no. You can't abandon your, your tech company right now. You need to be in it. You don't have time to spend 30 hours a week as a writer and all the technological things that are happening right now. I'm like, oh, that's why we have, we have no time to waste. I love that. I love, I love so many parts of that. I mean, I want to touch on that conclusion there with with the Google interviews because I think especially for entrepreneurs there can be so many temptations in tech recruiters yeah. coming after you with those big salaries and it's like I'm mm -hmm. I'm doing my own thing like I got my independence like that's worth way more than you know I'm just speaking personally like my experience but gosh it, it can be tempting um, especially in the early stages of <laughs> developing my business. I think that the universe has such a beautiful sense of humor. Like I, I call oh, it like yeah. the, the cosmic jokester. Like I, I love that oh, the yeah. theme of its relationship is this pushing in your life, in your career. And I couldn't <laughs> like, I love picking up on symbols and I couldn't help but pick up on you were sitting behind the woman that was pregnant and then ultimately like 
her oh. <laughs> birthing and like pushing a baby into the world is like another step as oh you like pushed your way into that next completely and like a really funny thing about her is that she she just a, a very small frame and I thought that she was like five months pregnant she was ready to pop I couldn't tell like it was just like it was just in there so it was just like the utter shock and I was like oh yeah I'll take that so in a few months and she's like no 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 like I'm going on maternity leave next week and I was like what like literally it was truly being pushed and to this day like I literally it's hands at my back and they're just like yeah you're good you're good (laughs) and it's me kicking and screaming so tell me about the practices or life choices you make to keep your mind, body, and spirit strong to continue moving with the push? Yeah, it's really, it's been, it's, I mean, you have this experience, but it's evolved since I started my business. It has been, it's almost been like going back to zero since I started my business in when I was working for other people or when my income was consistent, I had practices that just naturally developed, right? Like meditation became easy, yoga and kickboxing and all these things that I really loved. And then it was not at all easy because the navigating the stress of, I am now fully responsible for what happens in my financial life. I am now fully responsible for what happens in my day-to-day life, right? Like when the boss doesn't give me enough time, I can't complain to anybody else because I'm the damn boss. Um, and I'm, and I'm the one who has that responsibility, but it's a beautiful thing to have, but like, it was just jarring because I was like, Oh, now it's everything at once. I always hear the line from life in the fast lane where he goes everything all the time. Like Mm -hmm. I just always hear, I hear like, that's, that's my thing. It was like, maybe just, just everything. And it's slowly coming back and it's really been my spiritual practices, my ancestral practices that have been sort of like lighting the way now because I had to connect with them to be in my body again. Like it was just such a high state of arousal and such overwhelm with everything because it's a big, you know, when you feel called to something, it's really big and you don't know where to start. You know, you can see the full vision, you feel it. And then you're like, oh, I have to do everything. And it's really hard to just be in your human body and be like, this is the first step, you know? Um, And the, the ancestral practices really have been the big consistent thing that have kept me grounded because through that practice and through committing to revisiting it, they speak to me and they they point me in the direction and they say, like, do this now, do this now, do this now. And that's been so helpful, particularly because we were talking about earlier, like discernment is such a big part of taking care of yourself, period. Uh, especially if you're a woman in tech, especially if you're any kind of marginalized person in tech, doubly so if you are a, a business owner of a micro business or a solo business, and really figuring out what you need to be in that state where you can discern what is for you what isn't what's your problem what's not would you walk me through your ancestral practices I mean it's very fluid oh like the thing that I always say about things like ancestral practices is like they reveal the way to you I had the experience of you know being in a container 
and learning someone else's ancestral practices. And through that, my ancestors were like, no, 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 this is what, this is what we do, right? Like, this is, this is how we do this. And I was sort of like, just, just breadcrumbed. If you've ever been at like an intersection where like the cops were directing you, right. And they're like, you go here, you go there, you go here, you go there. And it's kind of like that, like, no, 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 do this slight correction. Um, And so it's really fluid, but the consistent part has been building an altar a lot of my ancestral work has been learning how to uh, just not listen to other people's ideas about what it should be because the cultures of the world are so vast and beautiful. And when you have the connection to the, I would say the strongest connection to specific kinds of ancestors, right? They'll tell you what to do. And that's been, been very much my experience, but like on a day-to-day basis, just committing to being at that altar, committing to which has been a weird thing for me is prayer because it's been so I am not a religious person. <laughs> I am not uh, particularly aligned with any religion um, and certainly not with uh, Christianity as a religion. And where I live, where I grew up, where the people that came a generation or two before me grew up, that was very much the big thing. So I, it's been a lot of like healing my relationship to just this very simple word, which to me just means to witness, right? To witness my connection with the universe, my ancestors and myself, wherever I am and to speak my intentions. I love how this ties back to what we were saying earlier about the importance of community and building community. And I think yeah, ancestral work is like building divine community, like building spiritual yeah. community, community, community to me is that process again of of discernment of knowing who you want to listen to and kind of uh editing away <laughs> so that you create this again container this safe space of of mm-hmm. guidance that is ultimately designed through inner wisdom and inner guidance yeah and and with that ancestral work it is like this community of inner wisdom would you have any resources or places if people were interested in learning more about that kind of work? For me, it's been, I, I will, the first thing I'll say is that it's been really organic. I am like the descendant of slaves in America, right? So I knew I had no tangible connection to my ancestors who came from Western Africa, who like I knew nothing about the practices. But through simply being in community, I I signed up for a container and we went on a meditative journey and they told me where they were from, you know, like, like I, I just want to start with that because not everybody, there's adoption, there's people who have similar background to me, yeah. there's, you know, people who don't have a good relationship with, with their biological family, so it can be really difficult, that a way is made simply by you setting the intention of doing it. They will find you because they really want to connect with you. And so do you, you desire at a soul level to connect with them. And also your ancestors aren't just your uh, blood ancestors, right? There are people that used to share similar li- similar lineage to, right? We are connected to witches throughout the, throughout the ages who are our ancestors, who mm-hmm. we aren't necessarily blood connected to. So that is sort of <laughs> the first thing. So there's a book that I have. I did not bring it back here. It's on, on my bedside. But I got it because I know so many people who have read it, people that I've worked with that I respect and I trust. So it's called Honoring Your Ancestors, A Guide to Ancestral Veneration. And it's by Mallory, maybe Vaudois. I'll link to it in Um, the show notes. Yeah. And that I got because so many people that I know have gotten 
that book and of all backgrounds. And really Mallory herself um, has a very beautiful background, like many of us, which she's learned from people from different cultures. And she signals that and she talks about how things can be different and the importance of listening to your inner wisdom and guidance. I think that's a fantastic place to start. And just setting the intention, like I said, is really the big thing. Uh, Meditation, whatever that means for you, can be different for different people. Yeah. Like, you know, joining a, a meditative journey or a shamanic journey, if you come across one online and you feel aligned to it and see what, see what arises. Are there any other practices or life choices that come to mind to keep you going? The work that I've done the past two years, channeling, working with the Akasha, has really taught me that commitment to listening to yourself is a practice. Uh, It's an ongoing thing. Knowing what you need is so important because it will change from minute to minute sometimes. So having practices that encourage silence, um, people can be, you know, people have completely different experiences sometimes, but um, I find that silence is super important for me. Just being able to sit. I like this morning, I've been, I've had an incredibly busy week and it was just sitting up and being in silence on the bed, no meditative technique, no anything, just sitting in silence and seeing what comes up and letting that guide me throughout the day. So meditation, I pra- I started practicing uh, transcendental meditation in 2018. I started practicing that. I'm not rigid with it. It's a tool that comes in when I need it. Um, but that was been a massive part of my growth and development over the past few years. I think silence is so profound, especially when working in tech. And there mm-hmm. are so many elements that have that immediate kind of feedback or desire to have our attention immediately that taking those those pockets of silence helps bring balance back to our natural rhythms. <laughs> Completely. Yeah. And I mean, and just figuring out what that m- means for me is really where it's at, right? Because I could, I tried lots of meditation techniques that did not do it for me, um, but just finding ones that work for me and being cool with the fact that it will change um, has been so crucial. Yes. Yeah. Britt, this has been such a gorgeous interview. Thank you so much for sharing your story, sharing your wisdom. I got a lot out of it myself, so I'm sure that others will too. And yeah, I just really appreciate you coming on today. Thank you. This was so fun. I love getting to talk about this stuff and mash up my worlds as the way it should be. That's a wrap for today's episode of Wellness and Women in Tech. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Brit Starr and gained some valuable insights on entrepreneurship, agency, and self-advocacy in the tech industry. If you're looking for additional guidance and support on your own career journey, be sure to visit my coaching website at leolissoncoaching.com or find me on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Twitter. And don't forget to leave a review and share this episode with your colleagues and friends to help support women in tech and create a more inclusive industry. Thank you for tuning in and I'll see you next time on Wellness and Women in Tech.